The Jesus movement that happened in the latter 60s and early 70s is being celebrated right now in the media, and it's on a lot of people's minds. That's when I came into the kingdom of God, and what God did in my life and through my life at that time is just absolutely incredible, and I want to share it on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar, and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Three big black billowing clouds of spiritual darkness swept over my generation in the latter 60s and early 70s. The Vietnam War, and then the flower child movement, the hippie movement, and along with that came a lot of drug use, especially hallucinogenics, LSD and peyote and mescaline and otherwise, and then the subsequent invasion of Eastern religions into our culture. There were dozens and dozens of gurus and swamis and yogis that infiltrated our society in Canada and the United States, and I'm sure other places too, like Australia and New Zealand, primarily the Western world over in Europe, promoting New Age spirituality and a Hindu worldview. And all of that together converged on my generation to swallow them up in spiritual darkness. And I believe the enemy's intent was to destroy that generation one way or the other. But I believe that's when God decided it's my turn. And that's when the Jesus movement, the Jesus revolution was birthed. And that's when I came into the kingdom of God. And the way God brought me into the kingdom was really miraculous. A series of Divinely inspired events took place in very very definite divine order in order to bring me into the kingdom of God. At the age of 18, I had had a near-death experience because of drugs. I'd been a rock musician and played with a rock group all over the state of Florida. And the lifestyle, of course, promoted the use of drugs, and uh, that eventually exploded in my face, so to speak, and I almost passed from this world into the next. I felt my soul leaving my body and going off into this throbbing black void, speeding up at an unbelievable rate of speed, and I knew I was transitioning from time into eternity, and it was a frightening experience because I knew I was not ready. But see, I'd also been very devoted to the music of the Beatles, and at that time, John Lennon and George Harrison were getting very involved in Eastern religions, and through their influence, millions of people our age were exploring that as a possible answer spiritually. And at that time, I met an Indian guru named Yogi Bhajan, and the thing that really attracted me was the intense discipline. 
of the yogic procedures that I would have to implement in order to achieve something he called God consciousness. And so I dropped out of college for that purpose, to seek God through yoga, through meditation, through Eastern religions, and became very, very intensely involved to the point where I was spending up to 14 hours a day involved in some aspect of yoga, whether it was pranayama, which are the breathing exercises, or asanas, which are the physical exercises, or meditation, or reading the Bhagavad Gita, or some way, some fashion, I was involved in trying to connect with this higher reality and awakening my true self and then living on that higher level of consciousness. All of those were just very uh, definite goals in my life. But there was a prayer group in town in Tampa, Florida, that read about me, how I was teaching yoga at four universities in the area, and I'd opened up a Kundalini Yoga ashram. And they said, not on our watch. We're going to pray that that person will come into the kingdom of God. So they had a 24-hour prayer chain, and they cut the article out of the newspaper, pinned it to their prayer board, and assigned somebody to be fasting and praying for me every hour of every day. And this went on for weeks. I'm being soaked with intercession. And then some things started happening, and I believe it came in response to their prayers. I got a letter from an old friend of mine, and he and I had dropped out of college at the same time for the same purpose, and I was taken away by his his letter because I knew he subscribed to a Far Eastern worldview and to a yogic kind of approach, but he said, Mike, you'll never find God through yoga and meditation. You need to be born again. You need to receive Jesus into your life. Well, at first, I rejected what Larry had to say, but then his letter weighed on my mind. And day and night, I was thinking about this idea of being born again. And it sounded unique because Larry described the Spirit of God coming into him when this spiritual rebirth took place. And as a yoga teacher, I taught that the essence of divinity was already Within every human being, it was like a spark of the divine nature that needed to be awakened, but it was already there. And of course, my concept of God was an impersonal life force flowing through all the universe. And so I I knew there's a difference here. There's a very definite and unique contrast between the two worldviews. So one day, I decided I was going to explore. I was going to examine the claims that Larry had made. I dedicated an entire day to Jesus and said, if you're real and if you're the savior of the world and if this story about you dying on the cross for the sins of humanity and rising from the dead is true, then show me today. Come to me. Manifest yourself. I dedicate this day to you. And God was very gracious to respond to me because all day long I prayed for about 12 hours. I read the Bible for an hour, and then I would pray about an hour. And then I'd go back to reading the Bible for an hour and pray about an hour. And I primarily focused on the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation, which is a very strong book to start out with for your initiation to the Bible. Then I had to teach a yoga class that night at University of South Florida. And so I left my ashram, and I was hitchhiking to that university 
and one of the members of the prayer group was two miles away, walking in a laundromat with an armful of dirty clothes, and God spoke to his heart and said, don't go in there, get back in your van and start driving, I've got a job for you to do. That's all God said, and he acted on that instruction that he received from the Lord. So he got behind the wheel, and he started driving, and whenever he felt an impulse, he turned. Several turns later, he was going down the road where I was hitchhiking and never picked up hitchhikers. That was a cardinal rule he lived by, but felt compelled again. And so he pulled over and picked me up, and I opened the door to his van, and my heart jumped because inside he had taped a picture of Jesus to the ceiling of the van. And while I was hitchhiking, I was still praying, Jesus, this is your day. I dedicate this day to you. If you're the way, the truth, and the life, like Larry says, then show me a sign. And when I opened the door and saw that picture of Jesus on the ceiling, I knew this is my sign. And within about a half hour, after discussing the Bible and finding out that Kent had been more involved in yoga in some aspects than I had. He had been a student of Yogananda, who was a very famous guru in that day. He wrote a book called The Autobiography of a Yogi, and yet he had become a born-again Christian and left all that behind. So he could speak into my life. He was probably one of the only people that I could have talked to and respected his point of view because he was so deeply involved in yoga prior to becoming a Christian. So I prayed I was born again. I received Jesus into my heart. The Spirit of God came into me. I encountered the true and the living God. It was so real that the first thing I did was go back to my yoga ashram, take all my books on yoga and the occult and the new age, and went out to the backyard where there was a 50-gallon drum and and put them all in there and burned them up. And, And also, right prior to that, Kent went with me to my class at University of South Florida, and I announced to them that unknowingly I had misled them and that Jesus was the only way. And remember, this is the era of the Jesus movement. And so there was a powerful anointing in the chapel there at University of South Florida, and almost all of my students, as far as I can remember, all of them became Christians as well. And then I went back to all the other universities in the area where I was teaching and made the same announcement, and uh, it was a fantastic start. Shortly after that, I left everything behind. I shut down the ashram because I knew I could not mix yoga and Christianity. When I hear people talk about Christian yoga, I say, that's an oxymoron. It's impossible to be a Christian and study yoga and mix the two together. And so I left Tampa, Florida, and I went to Oviedo, Florida, over outside of Orlando, and decided to stay at a little Christian mission called Tongues of Fire Mission. And it became a Jesus commune where about 10 or 11 of us, including Kent, the one who won me to the Lord, decided to live and and combine our finances and combine our efforts at seeking God. And we had church seven nights a week. It would start at seven o'clock and never end till at least midnight. And we all had to get up early to work construction jobs the next day. And for about four months, that was my life. Church, seven nights a week. Powerful prayer meetings, seven nights a week. Taking communion, seven nights a week. Reading the Bible, 
uh, constantly falling asleep with the Bible on my chest, having dreams from God. The Lord Jesus came to me in two or three dreams in those beginning weeks and months. And then one night was a real pivotal turning point. And I wanted to share this on this podcast, how I took a real leap of faith to go into the ministry full time. I was sitting at a campfire outside of our commune uh, main building, our primary building, with another brother in the Lord that lived at the commune. And he said, I saw something in the Bible today I want to discuss with you. He said, it's in Luke chapter 14. And Jesus gave the requirements for being a disciple. And he read through them. And it started out with verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then Jesus went on to say in verse 33, that whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. And Bob looked at me and he said, do you know anybody doing that? And I said, no, I don't think I do. He said, let's do it. I said, okay, I'm game. And so the next day, both of us gave away all our money to the poor. We gave away all our earthly possessions. All we kept was one change of clothes and a Bible in a little knapsack. And we took off hitchhiking. To this day, I can remember standing on the side of the interstate with a little cardboard sign that said, Going for Jesus. And we hitchhiked a thousand miles to Bloomington, Indiana. And we had an invitation from a Pentecostal pastor in Bloomington to come and hold a series of meetings. And that would have been fine. We would have preached to 10 or 15 people in this little church outside of the city. But that wasn't God's plan. And sometimes, let me rephrase that, not sometimes, all the time, when you're really walking with God, what appears to be a disappointment at first often turns into a divine appointment where God gets involved in what seems to be chaos and confusion. So anyway, we got all the way up to Indiana, and we went days without food, and on the way there, we preached and witnessed on various college campuses. We got to Bloomington, and the pastor sent us word that he had changed his mind and decided not to hold the meeting. What a disappointment. How depressing that was. We've given up everything we've owned. We went days without food, slept in the woods on the way there, really sacrificed in order to take this step out into the ministry. And our first revival gets canceled before we have the chance to even say one thing to a congregation, to even preach one sermon. So that was very disconcerting. And yet Bob looked at me and said, Mike, we came to Indiana to preach, so regardless, we're going to preach. And we went walking down the road and praying that, God, you sent us here. We believe you sent us here. There's something you are choosing to do through us that we don't know about yet, and we ask you to reveal it to us. And about that time, we walked by a field that had a great big billboard in the middle of the field. And that billboard stated that the field was now to be called the People's Park. And it explained that it had been bought by the Yippies, which were 
communist-leaning ex-hippies or present hippies who had become very political in their focus, and they tended to lean toward socialism and communism, anti-capitalism, and they were making a political statement by buying that property and then sharing it with all the people that lived in the Bloomington area. And it was called the People's Park, a statement for communism again. So anyway, Bob looked at that, I looked at that, and we both decided at the same time, that's our church. (laughs) That's where we're going to have an outdoor revival, if you want to call it that because uh, it was a perfect setting. It was a couple of blocks down from the university, and lots of college students walked back and forth past that park. So Bob looked at me and said, Mike, we can't have revival without advertisement. I said, man, we've only got two quarters. How are we going to get advertisement with that? He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he went across the street and bought a little cheap magic marker. I guess it cost about a quarter. And then he walked over to a Pizza Hut kind of restaurant and walked behind it. I'm wondering what in the world's got into his mind. And he took me to the dumpster. And he and I was younger and also a little more capable physically. He said, Mike, I feel led for you to get up in that dumpster. It was a really tall dumpster. And he said, I want you to get some pizza boxes. And we're going to write our advertisement on it. And so I dug down in the trash and found some white pizza boxes, and we folded them around backwards and wrote on them in big block letters, red letters, Revival, old-fashioned street preaching in the name of Jesus, miracle signs and wonders, healing the sick, casting out devils, uh, and listing several other things. And then it said 7.30 every night. And we put those up at the four corners of the field. And uh, much to our surprise, Oh, I've got to back up and tell the rest of the story. Then Bob said, Mike, you know, when the sun goes down, that grass is going to get wet from the dew. We need something for people to sit on. I said, let's go back to the dumpster. And so I found a bunch of Paps Blue Ribbon boxes, cardboard boxes that Paps Blue Ribbon beer had been shipped in to the Pizza Hut place. And... (laughs) And so I dug about 50 of those out of the dumpster and we spread them out, flattened them out. And I've often told people the communists bought my first church and a beer company supplied the pews. And that night, praise God, we had about 80, 90 people show up, all of them unsaved, unconverted. And most of them lived at a local hippie commune that was immersed in all kinds of craziness. In fact, Some of them were involved in witchcraft. Some of them were involved in all kinds of occult practices, astrology and and spiritualism and yoga and meditation and all kinds of occult arts. And they were all uh, one big family. All the women considered themselves the wives of all the men intermingled among themselves. It was really way out. But they came and they were open and they were hungry for reality, spiritual reality. And Bob asked me to preach the first sermon. And to this day, I remember my text, my opening text, where Jesus said, except a man lose his life for my sake and for the gospels, he shall not find it. I shared my story of salvation and about 70 of them, very few of them withheld uh, from the altar call, 
Almost all of those that were sitting in front of me raised their hand for salvation. And I prayed for all of them to be born again, to be saved, including one guy that played in the front band that traveled with Led Zeppelin. And a bunch of people from that meeting started traveling with us. And Kent, meanwhile, quit his job and drove his van up to join us in Bloomington, Indiana. So we had a van full of ex-hippies, ex-druggies, ex-occultists that now want to change the world for Jesus. See, I was part of the Jesus Movement era. And while that was happening on the West Coast, we started doing things on the East Coast that were really just as remarkable. And maybe I'll share some more in Friday's podcast called Discover Your Spiritual Identity about some of the things that went on but uh, we saw remarkable things happen. We saw when we'd go into downtown city areas, uh, drug pushers get saved, prostitutes, gang leaders, motorcycle gang leaders. It, it was amazing. It was like you just walk in an area and the Holy Spirit would take over and great things took place. So I'm going to share some more about that on Friday. So I urge you to listen to my other podcast and we'll delve into it more about how God moved in that day. And I believe, and the reason I'm talking about it is I believe that God's saying, once again, after all this pandemic chaos and confusion that's been going on the last couple of years, and the plans of the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization and all these globalist designs for humanity that they're trying to implement, and it looks like ominous things are on the horizon. Once again, I believe God's saying, it's my turn. It's my turn. And another wave of what could be called the second Jesus movement is taking place. I want to be a part of it. And by the way, let me include, I would urge you to go to thetruelight.net and in the about information about my, my salvation at the very beginning, of the website, thetruelight.net. I have a video where my wife and I went to Bloomington, Indiana a couple years back, and I did a little video of the field where I held my first gospel meeting, and you might want to look at that. So thanks for joining me, and we'll come back together again on Friday. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.